This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. The CDC tells us there are many benefits to owning a pet. They increase opportunities to get outside, increase our exercise and socialize, Regular walking and playing with pets can decrease blood pressure and cholesterol levels. Last year, we devoted an entire show to the value of pets as therapy for our mental health by giving us companionship, managing loneliness and depression, and helping with therapy in cases of mental illness like PTSD. Pets can help you, and today you'll learn how you can help your pets. Our guest is Dr. Irit Grader, an assistant professor of clinical primary care from the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine. Welcome, Marit. Thank you so much for inviting me to your show. Well, we're pleased, so happy to have you. So we have a lot of good information that we'll be hearing, and I'd love to just start with a very basic question. When we take a pet to the vet, what can you describe preventive care? I think that's a really important thing to review for starters. Yes, absolutely. So um, just like we um, go to our own doctor once a year or twice a year for our own visits to ensure that we are um, healthy and that there is uh, no problems that we need to take care of, the same goes for our own companion animals. So we recommend to do a preventative care appointment once to twice a year. It depends on the age of the animal. So younger animals usually benefit from a once a year. Once they start to become a little bit older um, and more geriatric, or if they do have some chronic condition, then a preventative care appointment twice a year um, is a really good idea to follow up on them and to basically see how they are doing. Uh, remember that in a preventative care, basically what we're doing is we're trying to always stay about a step and a half ahead of the disease. Um, and therefore, the more frequently um, and that we see them, the better it is. And I know that uh, I'm a beagle mother. Uh, we've had five beagles since 1997, I think. At one point, we had three. Um, keeps our house very happy and active. But I know 
uh, vaccinations are important, all those things that, that we think about, as you said, with our children and ourselves. Let's go through the vaccinations and the different parasites and fleas and ticks that you check for. Okay, so basically the preventative care appointment cover multiple different aspects, even though it can take um, maybe 20 to 30 to 40 minutes, we do try to cover quite a bit of things. So um, the sections or the uh, topics that we typically look into is the type of vaccines and the way that we tailor them to the actual lifestyle of the pet. Um, we'll check for intestinal parasites, uh, we'll check for external parasites, and then uh, we'll check for, we'll do some blood work to help determine whether there are any tick-borne diseases or if there is any kind of problems associated with the internal organs that the lab work can help us. So if we talk about the vaccines, um, there are difference between, there are multiple different vaccines. We do have the core vaccines and the non-core vaccines, which core vaccines are usually tailored towards the um, uh, specific geographic area. And it includes the uh, legal vaccines that we need to vaccinate our uh, pets, which are the rabies. Uh, in addition to that, we add the distemper parvo complex. And then finally, in multiple areas, we usually add also leptospirosis, which is a type of a spirochete um, that is transferred by infected urine of wildlife. And this is definitely something that is more prevalent or endemic to our area of the Philadelphia area as a result of the increase in um, rodent population that we have over here. And then on top of that, we will go and we'll decide what are the non-core vaccines which are associated with lifestyle. So these are the Bordetella or the kennel cough, the canine influenza, and then the Lyme vaccine. So each dog will have their own um, kind of a plan for them. And then for the cats, very similarly, we do have the core vaccines, which include the rabies vaccine and then the FERCP, which are upper respiratory um, type of diseases and then gastrointestinal diseases. And then we can add to that the FELV vaccine, again, the, the, um, dependent on the risk factors and the exposure, the risk of expose, exposure to this particular um, disease. Mm -hmm. And I think you raise a very good point. And you said all those things so clearly. I would guess the average person who's had a pet, if you were to ask them to say, sure, rabies, distemper. But I don't know that everybody would realize that you include leptospirosis. And as you said, unfortunately, I guess other major cities as well, you have to have some geographic determinants. If you have a dog in or near the city, which right now is a problem, as you say, with rats, uh, mice, not so much, but rat urine can have this uh, spirochete or a... I would uh, say that the rodent, yeah, a rodent in general, mm -hmm. um, but it's not only that, it can be transferred um, really by if your dog is swimming in a, a body of water, if they're going outside um, and stepping on patches of grass that sure. has been urinated by a wildlife. So it's really is, you know, it's out there. Um, and that's the, the thing to remember with leptospirosis is that it is a zoonotic disease. So if our dogs can get it, certainly we can get sure. it as well. Um, so that's part of the reason why we do want to make sure they're vaccinated. Well, you it. know, I did a show a few weeks ago on Lyme disease related to uh, animals. Uh, we go to the seashore, uh, the Jersey coast, at least in Ocean City, they've um, increase the size of the dunes and you see all these adorable little bunnies hopping and there's been, and you know better than I, uh, an increased rate of 
multiple multiplication of bunnies, which they do so well, but an increased number of bunnies the last couple of years <laughs> because they tried to rid the island of foxes. So the concern mm. is these adorable little bunny rabbits are carrying Lyme disease. So we did a show on that to remind people they're cute, but you don't want to pet them. And especially around your children, just be mindful of that. Um, but I think too, you mentioned internal parasites. As a GI doctor, I always check my patients for Giardia. And I don't think people realize dogs mm -hmm. can get that them. I mean, they're usually from well water, right? But, and again, depending where you live, um, I guess if a dog, uh, so you routinely, you do a fecal test uh, sample maybe once a year? Yeah, so mm -hmm. depending on lifestyle, we do um, run a fecal sample um, to check for the more traditional internal um, intestinal parasites, so the more of the worm type, the hookworm, the roundworm, the tapeworm, the... Um, um, so, but in addition to that, those unicellular organisms can also be present. So, and this is the Giardia and the Coccidia. Sometimes they will be, our dogs will be symptomatic for that, um, but sometimes they will be carrying it without being symptomatic. So uh, that's something that uh, routine fecal samples usually check for. Mm -hmm. And uh, blood tests, how often do you do labs, like chemistry panel, blood count? urinalysis, thyroid tests, how often do you do those? Once a year? Sure. So in a, so it depends on the age of the dog. What we do for all of our um, for all of our dog patients, we do run a heartworm test and a tick-borne disease panel. So we do want to check and see if they have been exposed to ticks and if those ticks have been carrying those diseases. And typically the diseases that we check for are the anaplasma, the ehrlichia, and then the Lyme's disease. And then it also checks them for heartworm. And this is a test that we recommend to do once a year. Um, and after we do this test, it's, that's uh, when we are actually prescribing heartworm preventatives because we do recommend to have all of our patient, dog patients, on heartworm and intestinal parasite preventatives on a yearly basis and um, in, in addition to the tick um, the flea and tick preventative. Um, the other type of blood works, it really depends on the age of the animal. So for dogs, typically the recommendation based on the newest guidelines um, associated with life stages is that um, once our um, dogs reach mature um, adult stage, so usually around two or three years, that's when we want to start doing or consider doing full lab work on these guys to see where they're at. We can do that on a yearly basis. We can do that on an every other year. Uh, but once they are kind of starting to progress in their age, and typically older dogs will mature sooner than, I'm sorry, um, bigger dogs will mature sooner than smaller dogs. This is when we recommend to run the lab work on a regular yearly basis to biannual basis, starting from around five, six, where the um, smaller breed dogs, we can go from around seven to eight. And then we typically run those. Mm -hmm. um, and we do the CBC, the chemistry, the urinalysis, and then depending on um, the, depending on any kind of clinical concerns, we will add the thyroid level. Cats, very similar. So we usually start early. Um, we decide, you know, around three to four, decide whether we want to do that on a yearly basis, decide whether we want to add a urinalysis or a thyroid. And once they mature and they become 
they're kind of starting to go into their more mature adult slash geriatric years, this is when we do add the urinalysis and the thyroid because cats are more prone to developing chronic kidney disease and hyperthyroidism, and that allows us to catch it early. Oh, I didn't know that. We have about a minute left in this segment, but I did want to ask, as we're talking about uh, infections or conditions that uh, humans can get, can pets share Giardia with us? I guess if you take your dog for a walk and you, you pick up their, their sample and dispose of it and you don't wash your hands, I guess yeah. Giardia could be passed from a dog to a person, so, yeah? When you think about it. It's very unlikely, though. Um, as far as I know, um, it's two different um, it's two different species. It's a possibility, but a very, very unlikely possibility. Good to know. I think of toddlers. I have little grandchildren that love our dog Zeus. They lie on him. They play with his tail. He is so tolerant. It's it's uh, scary, but um, good to know because I think people need to realize that maintenance care is vitally important to a healthy pet. Let's talk about dental exams and cleaning when we come back from the break. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor with our guest, Dr. Irit Grader from the University of Penn School of Veterinary Medicine. This is such great information, Irit. We were talking about preventive care for our dogs and cats. We'd love to talk about all the pets out there, but we're we, that would take several shows. So we're going to focus on uh, doggies and kitty cats today. Um, dental exams and dental cleaning, that has to be important for our pets. Absolutely. So um, dental disease and periodontal disease is really is uh, one of the things that we absolutely evaluate and check on each one of our preventative care appointments. And what we want to look at is the amount of dental calculus that accumulates on the teeth, the level of gingivitis, Mm -hmm. whether we have gingival recession or not. Do we have any kinds of abnormal growths or tumors? on the actual gums or on the tongue. So definitely a a big and important part of our companion animal's health. Mm -hmm. Does it always require sedation? I would think pretty much, yes. Yeah, so um, I I always say that what's above the gum line is not necessarily what is below the gum line. So the evaluation that we see, that we do when the animals are awake 
um, is a very superficial one. In order to really get a good feeling of what is happening, actually, we do that under complete general anesthesia, um, which allows us to chart the mouth and then take full oral um, x-rays, which help us to see exactly what is the condition of the roots. Do we have any... uh, um, bone resorption? Do we have any lysis? And then that help us determine not only how much do we need to clean, or um, but also do we need to do any kind of extractions or anything like that? Mm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that dogs, especially if they, like my little guys, love to get into the trash and they bite down on something, it's possible to break a tooth. And, and I'm, as the dog mother, I wouldn't know. So those kind of things are so important as well, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. So Emotional well-being. You brought up a very good point when we were chatting the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a, um, one more important uh, note about uh, the dental health is that the type of uh, treats and the type of food that we offer our pets, um, it's important to remember that their crowns are actually not as, as strong as our crowns. So um, they are a lot more likely to break a tooth or a crown because they also bite down a lot harder. So when we choose treats or when we choose toys, we want to make sure that we choose toys that we can indent with our fingernail. If we are unable to indent, it is too hard and therefore should probably not be offered to your pet. Very good to know. So um, I mixed metaphors for a minute there, but I was fascinated the other day when you talked about a pet's emotional well-being. Boy, are they a good barometer. I know uh, my doggies are always at my feet. If I'm sitting at the computer, if I'm making dinner or folding laundry, they're right there. Uh, but when my husband was sick for a little bit, a couple years ago, never left his side, always at his side. They know, they can sense, and we'll talk about later about training a dog, but when what do you ask a pet owner about the dog's emotional well-being? Yeah, so that's another really important aspect that we want to evaluate both at home and at the clinic. Um, so a lot of our pets, because they are so attached to us, so close to us, so much affected by our presence or our absence of the house, uh, we do want to make sure that they don't suffer from excessive anxiety, that they are not experiencing any kind of Um, aggression, whether it is towards other people or towards other animals. And then especially in the clinic, that's when we really want to evaluate their level of fear and anxiety and see how we can make that visit more comfortable for them. Um, And that's when we use either medications or kind of mild sedatives or we use, and in addition to that, we use um, low stress handling techniques, which really helps set up the environment Um, in a way that decreases the level of fear and anxiety that our patients experience as they come to see us. So what might that include? The the type of uh, um, leash, like the the leash that you just open and slip around the dog's neck, or what what would be low-level anxiety handling? Oh, so um, low-stress handling techniques a lot of the times are associated with creating an environment that um, creates a positive experience with the actual um, procedures or whatever they are enduring. So one of the things is actually to do the exam with the owner. So making sure that they remain with their owners and feel comfortable and safe. The other thing is to offer different kinds of foods and treats, which create an association, a positive association with an experience. So, um, you know, if restraining for blood collection or for vaccines, you can offer peanut butter or cheese, which completely distract 
the uh, um, the excited puppy that is very food motivated. Um, using a very calm and um, very soft environment, so soft uh, blankets to restrain, um, not forcing them to lay down, allowing them to choose which position they would like to be oh. examined and which way they are more comfortable. And for the cats, um, so these are for the dogs. For the cats, it's the location where they would like to be examined, keeping them in a uh, in a um, exam room and allowing them time to adjust to the exam room, um, using fleece blankets, and then very um, soft restraint and allowing them to hide while we do the examination. So all of these things are really helping them decrease their level of fear and anxiety. And if these methods are not enough, we typically add pre-medications that can be given prior to the appointment to really reduce the level of fear and anxiety our patients are experiencing and to make the experience more comfortable for both the owner and for the animal, because the owner does not need to be as anxious and stressed about how whether their animal um, is suffering or not. Sure. And if you take away anything that's threatening, you're going to get a better read on what the pet is like Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis as well. So that's really so clever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about pet insurance? Is it worth getting pet insurance for your cat or dog? So that's a really good question. I usually recommend for all my owners, especially of younger um, kittens and uh, puppies, to look into that and to see if there is... Um, a particular plan that works for them. So there are many, uh, many options on the market. What I usually recommend is to make sure that the plan that you choose does include or cover preventative care. So it's not only for um, catastrophic or for injuries, but that it does include those yearly visits um, and the spay and neuter and um, other things that are related to the preventative care appointment. Mm-hmm. And before I forget, I didn't even think to add, put that on our list of questions. Spaying and neutering, vitally important. Uh, is Am I correct with male dogs? It decreases their risk for testicular cancer if you neuter yeah, them? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is some quite very interesting data today that um, has come out, especially from... Um, uh, the vet school in Davis, which really looked at um, multiple different dogs breeds and um, kind of assessed what is the impact of spay and neutering um, and in terms of their health um, mm-hmm. later on in life. And if in the past, the recommendation that we gave to all of our owners is once their animal reaches the age of six months, go ahead and spay and neuter them. Um, we are starting to shift away from that. So we're looking a lot more at um, particular or specific, the specific con- um, a situation of the animal itself. When larger dog breeds, the recommendation right now is to um, neuter them once they reach skeletal maturity. So that's around a year to a year and a half. And then the female dogs, the recommendation is to wait until their first after their first heat cycle. So um, we typically recommend to spay them at around a year of age. And some dog breeds, based on their research, uh, the recommendation was actually not to spay or neuter them just because the health benefits later on in life um, were profound in terms of their um, musculoskeletal diseases. And they didn't show um, enough um, evidence to support the association with the development of cancer. So, of course, we want to make sure that we do spay and neuter our um, 
our dogs and our cats, absolutely. But yet again, this is another situation where each patient needs to be looked at as an individual and not just as a part of a group. And then taking into consideration the lifestyle and then the risk factor and then being able to tailor a plan uh, for them specifically. That's so interesting. And and just like people, the data is collected and, and plans evolve I'm chuckling while I'm listening because when I was in seventh grade, we moved to a new, we moved and I was in a new school and I was trying to fit in and our dog had had distemper. So she didn't get, uh, go through, she had her first heat cycle and we didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And I guess her scent was on, you know, I pet her. So it was probably on my school bag or my socks or something. So I went into school one day and there was a German shepherd sitting under my desk. And I can only say that, that the teacher, <laughs> Sister Mary Cellophane, was not happy that I brought a German shepherd to school. And I said, Sister, I don't know who, the, you know, um, uh, Sky King or whoever had the dog, my friend Flicka. They're all horse stories, but I don't know where that dog came from, but I did invite him in. Let's talk about diet and nutrition because, uh, again, uh, when I was younger, when I was a little girl, we used to give dogs the wet food out of the can. Um, is there a benefit to the dry kibble food versus the canned food? Or where do we go with choices of food for dogs and cats? Okay, so this is a really great question. That's, that's a really great question because um, I think that the there are multiple different foods. Again, just as you mentioned, dry food, which are um, providing the crunchy stuff, which um, kind of helps um, in some sense help uh, remove some of the dental calculus, especially Mm. if we're using there are special diets that are actually designed to help with that. And then we have the canned food, um, which has a higher water content. So especially if we do want to do anything Um, If we have concerns about water consumptions or things like that, then that's something that um, we could we could use and that could help. The main thing to remember, especially since there are so many different diets, so many different brands. um, And that's what I always recommend for my clients is what what we want to look for is the. EFCO label. And the EFCO label, and this is the AAFCO, this is the Association of American Feed Control Officials. And what they do is they came up with guidelines, um, which are the general basis for the nutritional content of the commercial pet food. So if we have um, a food that is has that EFCO label, then we know that this is a diet that has been evaluated and is meeting the guidelines and meeting the standards. So therefore, some dogs and cats, like, you know, there is so much personal preference with that. I would say that this is in particular what we do want to look for um, as we are choosing a diet. Um, and then at the end of our um, at the end of our interview, I do have the website for that that I could share with our listeners that they could go to and listen to. Good to know. I've never heard that. So you want to look for AAFCO. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Erit Grader from the University of Penn School of Veterinary Medicine. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. 
I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much about how we could take better care of our pets, especially our dogs and cats. Um, Irit, we were talking about uh, nutrition, and we want our listeners to look for uh, the seal of approval from the AAFCO, which you'll talk about, uh, but it's uh, the American Association of Feed Control Officials. Um, the, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, beautiful. Um, so again, I, I, the only reference I have right now is my beagles. They love to eat anything. I mean, Maggie would eat a candy bar with the wrapper and it would come out, come out looking the same from uh, on the other side. And she ate a whole tray of brownies. Um, Zeus makes it his whole life to get to the trash when I'm not looking. If a dog raids the trash and they eat a mystery food, how do you know when you should mm-hmm. take him or her to the vet? What would you look for in terms of signs of obstruction? Let's say they've gotten into mostly paper or plastic and there's, it can get trapped in their small bowel. I mean, I'm thinking like a GI doc or even a sure. perforation if they've sure. eaten a, a little bone or something. Um, let's talk about that a little because that's important for people sure. to know when to try to wait it out or come and see you. Absolutely. So usually I would recommend once they eat something that they shouldn't and we start seeing um, clinical signs of some sort of a gastroenteritis or enterocolitis, so vomiting and diarrhea. Typically, my recommendation is to try them on blend diet for 24 hours. So just plain rice and a little bit of boiled chicken over 24 hours and see what's happening. If things are going south, so increase in the vomiting, diarrhea is not resolving, starting to see blood in the diarrhea, um, starting to see lethargy and inappetence, that's that's the time to actually head to, um, to your veterinarian. What a lot of people would do is they would actually um, reach out to their veterinarian, kind of report the clinical signs so we know um, what's going on. We make the recommendation because a lot of this depends on 
how much vomiting are we seeing? Are we seeing just a once or twice? Or are we seeing six, seven, unable to keep any food down, unable to keep, to keep any water down? So our concern is not only the foreign body, but the level of gastroenteritis that might be caused as a result of consuming trash. And then possible, uh, possibly other diseases, so pancreatitis, can be um, kind of um, created as a result of consuming um, food that was high on the fat content. When we are talking about um, gastrointestinal obstruction, typically what we would see is really um, constant vomiting. So we're not talking about once or twice. We're talking about constant vomiting, inability to keep the food down, um, and inability to keep water down. And that's definitely an emergency um, that needs to be taken to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. A few months ago, our now 14-year-old Beagle, um, I don't know what he ate, but he got sick multiple times. And I just thought, gee whiz, it was about two in the afternoon. And I thought before five o'clock comes around and my vet is closed, I called their wonderful, said, bring him over. And what fascinates me is that when it's a person, we put an IV into the vein and put that fluid right into the vascular system. With the doggy, it's kind of cool. You just... And, correct me if I'm wrong, you just insert the needle under their skin, sub-Q, and mm-hmm. inject 250 cc's, and it's like watering a dried plant. Zeus just woke up like, thanks, mom. Thanks, Dr. So-and-so. It was amazing to watch him just go 180 degrees. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have the possibility of actually um, inserting those fluids, sub-Q fluids, that's what we call them, and they are going to get absorbed into the bloodstream. And that's um, a very non-invasive way of treating some of our patients without placing the IV catheter, which are a lot more um, uncomfortable and require a lot more sure. expertise and a lot more And time. as you said earlier, threatening. This is scary for a dog or a cat. Um, sure. I just wanted to ask, too, um, the things that we think of grapes, raisins, can cause kidney damage if they're eaten by mm-hmm. pets. Um, chocolate can cause seizures. We always used to say at Thanksgiving time, no turkey. Is that still an issue? Um, I think that everything is in moderation. So I am not yeah. a big uh, proponent of actually feeding human food to our pets. I think that mm-hmm. um, you can um, certainly, things that are bland um, and that are not high in fat, are you can sometimes supplement, but... Um, I do, um, you know, strongly recommend to use their commercial dog food because it is well balanced with all of the nutrients, minerals, um, and vitamins that they actually need. Um, the other thing I mean, to remember, if we talk about if we talk about um, dangerous foods, is um, antifreeze liquid. Um, mm-hmm. Antifreeze liquid um, can be um, really very detrimental for dogs. And remember, it is a little bit sweet, so they have a tendency to drink that. Um, and that can cause acute kidney failure as well. And then the other thing is uh, lily plants and cats. They do not, <laughs> that does not work well. So that's something that depending on the, if somebody brings you flowers, make sure that you know what these flowers are. And then if you do have a cat, they should not be coming in contact with those uh, with that particular plant. Good to know. How about when you get a new puppy and you approach the potty training part? <laughs> it's not an easy task, but some dogs just seem to go through it more easily than others. Again, my beagles 
love to mark, as they say, right? They love to find a spot that they call their own. And it's hard to convince them that the grass is more fun. Absolutely. We want you to go outside, guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How do you go about, what's your basic advice with that? Okay, so let's start with the easy one. The easy one is the cats, um, which the cats, when they come, when it comes to potty training, these guys, not a lot of work. They just need to know where their box is, and they naturally will go to their box with their litter. And then you can choose multiple different kinds of litter. Some cats prefer, um, you know, the more of the clay or the sand-like um, litter and other cats prefer more of the um, harder or the kind of the pellet type litter. So cats are fairly easy when we talk about that. The important thing with cats is to make sure that their box always remain clean. So clean it once a day at least and that would really help keep them um, oriented towards their box and not doing um, not doing anything outside of the litter box. When it comes to puppies, typically what I would recommend is um, to first remember that these puppies has a very small bladder. So as a result of that small bladder, they do need to urinate frequently. So they need to be taken outside at least once every couple hours. Um, things to remember is to maintain a very consistent schedule take them at the same time, take them right after they're eating. Um, by maintaining that predictability, it helps those puppies regulate and realize what is what is happening. Um, always reward for good behavior, never punish for bad behavior. So it is really unhelpful, to be honest. Um, punishment only associate a fearful situation with the owner. So what the animals learn is to simply be afraid of the owner, whereas the positive reinforcement, so when they do something well and they receive a treat for that, is much more conducive to learning. Um, so the way to go is that if your puppy went on the floor, no big deal, you know, continuously stick to the schedule, take them outside at the designated time, if they need to be taken out more than every two hours, then do that more in the beginning, especially with the younger ones, and then reward them with a treat after they go outside. You make such a great point. They're little baby dogs or cats, and they have smaller bladders, so they don't know. They don't know to say pass the toilet paper. They're in the crate, but and you think, well, they wouldn't go in their home, but I mean there's a measurable size to which the bladder can distend. And after that, all bets are off. So exactly. that's the key. And if it means getting up once or twice during the night, even, or, or not give your puppy or kitty cat fluid after a certain time, that makes perfect sense. So this is a good time, I think, to roll into how you promote the development of calmness and friendliness in dogs. I think uh, we're misled. Um, I, grew up thinking that there are certain breeds of dogs that are more prone to be aggressive, but that's not what the data show, right? The data show us that. Yeah. So I would say that, um, a lot, so we do have, um, dog breeds that are more high intensity, um, and require a lot more attention and require a lot more an outlet to their energy. So, and that's why we have the working dogs. So the police dogs, the canines, these guys are um, just very, very intense dogs that needs to have a job. And if they don't have a job, um, then they will get very frustrated and therefore will behave in a way that is not adequate for um, the average family or the average home. Um, but the, I think that it's important to remember that 
Um, dogs that are socialized when they are young um, really are exposed to multiple different um, stimuli, whether this is different people, different cars, bicycle, you know, cats, children. And, uh, and, and this is done in a very soft and friendly and in a way that um, um, that creates a positive association between the stimuli and the reaction. It makes for them a very big difference in terms of what they, what kind of dogs do they grow up to be. Um, if a dog is uh, raised in an environment that is very stressful and frightening and unpredictable, then they certainly will need to be on guard. And as a result of being on guard like that, um, you know, they will have, it will be harder for them to develop those kinds of calmness and um, softness that a lot of them will exhibit. Um, I would say that there are some dogs that um, are mm -hmm. simply, because of their genetic predisposition, are more prone to be more anxious and more fearful. Um, and then the environment can certainly either promote it or help um, create a, a, a create a more comfortable environment for them. And then if this is the case, sometimes we can use anti-anxiety medication, which will help with this anxiety um, and with their fear. Which I think leads to the point that's so important that we talked about before. It's so important for parents or uh, guardians to teach children, ask an owner, don't just assume it's okay to pet somebody else's dog. The dog might be sick or frightened or maybe a rescue that's not trained yet, who knows what their past experience is. So you want to teach children, especially to ask the owner for permission and teach them not to touch the dog's tail or take them off guard, I guess. And I also concern myself with little toddlers now that we have grandchildren. If they're walking around with a cracker, that's low to the ground. Not the dog's fault if they come along and say, mm, and they take it from the child's hand. And if, they're, if their tooth hits the child's hand, if they're not intending to bite the toddler, it just is in the way. Yes? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's correct. And the other question we have about a minute left, how can a dog sense fear in a person? I think you had a great answer for that. So our um, dogs and cats are very sensitive to nonverbal cues. And they give nonverbal cues and they read nonverbal cues. And this is something that is important to remember. And that's something that is actually very key when we teach our kids whether to approach to an animal or um, to touch it or not, because they provide those clues that says, I want to be touched, I want to engage with you. And they, or they provide the clues please don't touch me, please, um, I'm not interested in engaging with you. And one of the things that we can certainly do is teach our kids how to read um, and respect the uh, decision of our dogs and of our cats, whether they want to be touched or not. Um, in regards to sensing um, fear and anxiety with us, if we are experiencing fear and anxiety and we are anxious and stressed, they will pick up on it right away. Um, and what it, they it really is, do. And it is a loop that feeds onto each other. So what happens is a lot of the times they become more fearful and anxious, which makes us more fearful and anxious, which makes them more fearful and anxious. So it really is the ability to become aware of what is happening inside of you. So the minute you are feeling anxious and fearful saying, oh, 
this is how I'm feeling right now. I either need to disengage or I need to change something in the way that I'm interacting with this animal um, to create a more positive experience for both of us. Sure. It's almost like the horses that they use in helping patients um, move beyond PTSD. The horse senses when the person's tense uh, when they're riding Mm -hmm. and such. This is fantastic. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for a wrap up with Dr. Eric Grader from Penn. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. Thanks for joining us for our wrap-up segment, which we call Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Dr. Enrique Grader, it's been such a pleasure to have you as a guest. We've learned so much about taking proper care of our pets. Um, what about a reference that would help people find dogs that are hype or and cats that are hypoallergenic? I know in my own family we have a lot of allergies and we have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in my family as well, my daughter is allergic. So there are some dog breeds that are more um, hypoallergenic. And these are the Shih Tzus, the Poodles um, in particular, that these guys are um, really are um, will invoke less of a allergic reaction. I have to say, though, that an interesting thing is that some dogs for some certain people would be more allergenic and less allergenic. So even if you you could be allergic to dogs and particular dogs will set you off a lot more than other dogs, um, and then particular breeds will set you off more, set you off less. So um, it's also, is it's not only just the dog breeds, you kind of just got to experience the dog um, yourself if you are um, uh, have allergies, it's something that you can, um, you just need to experience that particular animal. It could be that there's something in that particular animal that is setting off your allergies. The other thing is for cats. Mm-hmm. So we do have uh, the Sphinx cats. So these cats do not have any fur um, and therefore could be a little bit easier for um, people that suffer from um, from cat allergies. Um, so that's um, a couple, just a couple of, of things to remember. Sure. So is it the fur and or the dander? Is it both that cause both the allergic and the response? Saliva, and the saliva of the actual oh. animal. So that's also is um, something that causes that kind of a reaction. No, I've watched my own son. We've had dogs for 
you know, since 1997. And when my son lived, you know, was still at home before he got married, um, he tolerated the dogs. But if he comes over for Sunday dinner and he sits in the air where there's a carpet, he starts as though he were never exposed to these dogs before. So I guess part of it is when you adapt, when you're in the environment for a while, if you adopt an older dog uh, or rescue dog, or I am desperate, I have to talk my husband into it with the 4,000 beagles they talked about in Virginia. I want to take at least 2000 of them, but um, (laughs) is the training different? If you rescue a dog, be it younger or older, how does that work into things? Sure. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things to remember that the older the dog is, the more experiences he had or she had in their life and the more associations that they have with certain type of activities, whether good association or bad association, we can't really tell since they didn't grow up with us. We don't know what their experiences are. Um, now, our remember that our brains, all of us as individuals are... Um, basically programmed to scan the environment for any threats and then to really hold on and imprint these threats in order for us to protect ourselves. So when a dog or a cat or a person has a negative experience, it is not something that can easily be rewrite. We can rewrite that or we can eliminate it from their memory. So What I'm trying to get to is the importance of being really patient with these guys. It could be that uh, they were, uh, um, you know, in in the past, there was an attempt to teach them to do something, which was a very negative experience for them. And once they experience it again... Um, It only is causing fear and anxiety in them. So the key is to be patient, to be persistent, and to always work with positive reinforcement, meaning giving a a treat when uh, the behavior or or they do what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. How about, um, do you allow, uh, do you suggest people not let their dogs or cats sleep on their beds, I guess. <laughs> That's an individual thing too. My, our bed sort of looks I like- I think an individual. Yeah, I like that movie Beethoven where all the dogs are all in the bed. <laughs> I, I think it's I'm an individual off. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, any good websites for our listeners to visit too? Yes, absolutely. So what I want to share is um, just a couple resources. So the first one is the website for the AFCO, which will help um, our listeners to go and search and explore what that means and then help um, help them learn a little bit more about dog food. And the um, website is www.aafco.org slash consumers. Um, other two resources I would like to add is two books about behavior, because I feel that behavior and learning Good. how to um, train is, is really something that um, takes time and takes a lot of research. So the first one is about cats. It's called From the Cat's Point of View, the complete book on cat's behavior. And this is written by um, Gwen um, Bonenkamp. And then the next one is for dogs. It's called How to Behave So Your Dog Behaves. And that's written by Dr. Sophia Yin, who was an amazing veterinarian behaviorist. And finally, what I want to share is um, in case you have a concern, just as we spoke about uh, 
um, of ingesting some food that might be poisonous for your animals, there is Animal Poison Control Center that is by the SPCA. Um, and the number for that is 1-888-426-4435. 888-426-4435. Good for people to know. Yes, and it's open uh, 24-7 um, all days of the year in case you feel that one of your animals have ingested something that you're concerned about, you are welcome to give them a call, um, schedule a consultation and discuss this with one of their veterinarians that could certainly um, decide or um, suggest what is the next steps that you need to Well, do. again, I thank you so much. We learned incredibly valuable information and it makes me definitely want to go out and adopt a uh, a puppy and a kitty cat. So thanks again, Dr. Eric Grader from the University of Penn. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Now, your real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, Storm the Heavens. As a little girl, when I was sick with a fever and a cold, if I took my medicine and stayed in bed, I'd get a treat for being good. Maybe a comic book, new box of crayons, and I love cherry cough drops. And missing school was the ultimate bonus. Well, this week's champion got really sick with cancer. And at the age of seven, she didn't ask for a toy or a trip to Disney World. She asked for prayers. Philomena was a happy, healthy little girl who loved life. Lots of friends did well in school played sports with gusto. But when the school year started in 2016, her soccer coach noticed that she stumbled on the field and her teacher saw changes in her handwriting. Her mother, Mina, took her to the pediatrician and on September 15, 2016, the diagnosis of diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, DIPG, was made. According to the CDC, this aggressive brain tumor is uniformly fatal and affects mostly children under age 11. It's hard to reach for biopsy or treatment because of its location in the pons, an area which sends messages to the spinal cord and body, controlling essential functions like heartbeat, breathing, sleep, balance. And as they grow, these tumors cause pressure on the brain and impair bodily functions. Complete removal by surgery is unsafe because it can damage surrounding healthy tissue. The most common treatment is radiation therapy with steroids, but the radiation isn't such a great option because it can also damage surrounding healthy brain tissue. It simply slows growth, but doesn't provide a cure. Committed to finding other options, Mina and her husband, Mark, took their child to the University of California, San Francisco for a clinical trial every three weeks on five occasions. They prayed for a miracle and asked family and friends to pray with them. Within a short time, close to 20,000 followers offered online support on their social media site called Storm the Heavens. Sadly, Philomena lost her battle with the brain tumor 10 months later in July of 2017 at age 8. In fact, the median survival for most children diagnosed with DIPG is only 10 months when it robs a child of the ability to walk talk, smile, and eventually breathe, all while leaving the, the mind completely aware. Make a wish asked Philomena what she'd like. She asked to meet God. 
Needless to say, her parents were hoping that wouldn't happen for a long time. Well, then she asked to meet Mary, the Blessed Mother, which was also beyond their reach. So she was very happy when they arranged for her to meet the Pope. She never complained and was lifted by the people who were praying for her, and she asked for daily Holy Communion. When faced with a tragedy, you have a choice. You can turn inward and say, it's not fair. Or you can take your pain and turn it into a powerful force of positive. And that's what her parents did. Naturally, Mina and Mark Carroll were upset to learn of the diagnosis, but even more disappointed that absolutely no progress had been made in treating this type of brain tumor since Neil Armstrong's two-year-old daughter died from it in 1962. Mina is a certified public accountant turned middle school math teacher. With her husband, she began Storm the Heavens Fund with the goal to end DIPG through prayer, research, and awareness, aiming to create a world where no child dies from DIPG and making big steps. Her battle cry, we must do better. To date, their fund has raised over $900,000 and they donate to several research projects, including a clinical trial that unites doctors and researchers from 19 sites in the U.S. and centers in Australia, Canada, and Europe. Another partner is Stanford University, using CAR T-cells and immunotherapy, and the first pediatric patient was treated this very week. They just held their fourth annual Beans Ball. There's a 5K run in October. Mina and Mark are also leading the charge for federal funding for pediatric cancer research. And in March of 2021, the Fairness to Kids with Cancer Act was introduced in Congress with bipartisan support. But what I found especially impressive is the page on their website called Stories and Prayers, where people express support, but also thank Philomena for inspiring them to pray and trust in God. So if you ask me, I think Philomena is the miracle. We salute you, Philomena, and your parents, Mina and Mark Carroll, your real champions. Learn more about Storm the Heavens. Visit stormtheheavens.org. Thank you for joining us on Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. During the fall, Penn State football games may change our showtime on occasion, but we'll let you know well in advance. Listen for announcements. Hear any show again wherever you get your podcasts or on odyssey.com and search for Your Radio Doctor. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. We thank our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Rothman Orthopedic Institute and Genentech. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie, your radio doctor, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit IBXMedicare.com. Medicare.com/star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.